Brought to you by BedroomBattlefields.com, this is the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. Welcome to the show, Cameron. Uh, do you go by Cameron? Cammy, Cam? Cam. What's your preference? Cam's good. Fewer, Cam. fewer syllables, yeah. Good, good. See, I, I, I get called Matt a lot, but... I, I prefer to go with Matthew. Like, I'm not totally precious about it, but, um, you know, folk will often just, like, immediately shorten my name <laughs> yeah, without asking. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't ever say I'm offended about it, but, I mean, I'm bringing it up here, so it obviously needles me in some small way. Yeah, well, uh, uh, in eighth grade, a guy named Matt uh, was messing around with me and sent me to the hospital, uh, messed up my ankle real bad, so I won't call you Matt because I got bad memories of Matt. Matt, yeah so. <laughs> good good i will strike a deal on that front then so uh yeah it's good to to have you on the show at last you're a a, a great member of the discord community and uh, i invited john i just wanted to do the old hobby origin story talk about a couple of other things that were going on as well so first things first cam what's on the old painting table at the moment I um I just finished up uh three Famir for the original HeroQuest uh, game, and so uh I've been I've been uh working hard on getting all those painted because my daughter is six years old now and that's about the age where you can where HeroQuest is a, a game that you can introduce your kids to. So I've been trying to get all those painted. All I've got left is um the heroes and the gargoyle now. And I guess the terrain, mm. if I want to, if I want to paint up all the furniture and everything, which I probably will. So I'm hoping to get that completed by the end of the year, at least. So is that the newer Hero Quest? No, the old one. So how are you finding painting those miniatures? They, I'm enjoying it, but they, uh, they're definitely less, um, less uh, refined miniatures than everything else that I paint. You know, the the molds are pretty, uh, pretty simple. There's massive mold lines on them. It's kind of it's easier to, in some ways, to paint models that have got more definition and, and detail in them, uh, because you can you know use uh, other tools like dry brushing and uh, uh, contrast paints and stuff like that um, to get mm. the results you want. But with these, there's you know there's there's broad open spots like like a lot of the models have their hands in a fist. And where the thumb and index finger curl up, you would expect to see a lot of crevices and stuff, places where you could get highlights and details. But it's just, on these models, it's just a flat spot. So you have to figure out mm-hmm. what to do um, in that area. But um, I'm not, uh, I don't uh, hold myself to super high standards when I'm painting. I'm mostly just trying to get to, you know, uh, what people call a, a tabletop standard or something I'm happy with uh, putting on the table and, and go from there. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather have like uh, three moderately well painted orcs rather than one perfectly painted orc, just so I can mm-hmm. you know keep on making progress on what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, I painted up uh, a few of the battle masters. Like I still had some of the battle masters kit from when I was wee, um, and I think there was a an overlap with those in Hero Quest. Uh, I think the orcs were maybe the same, but I was trying to paint some of the the Chaos Barbarian Archers, which I've seen folk online do a really good job with, but the, the facial detail in that, there's just there's not a lot there at all, and I was using the contrast, and it just didn't really work for me. I mean, 
half the fact there is I'm not very good at painting, but <laughs> it just uh, I struggled with them just because of the lack of detail. Yeah, the the like the the model for the elf character in Hero Quest, I see, and I, I think the barbarian also. A lot of times, people won't even bother trying to paint the eyes; they just you know leave it shaded mm-hmm. instead of trying to actually put you know whites of the eyes and some pupils on there because. The details just not. It's there. just sockets, so, isn't it? Like yeah. just eye sockets. It's not. It's not even an eye there. Yeah, yeah. So if you want an eye there, you pretty much gotta manufacture it with the paint. Mm-hmm. Do you paint eyes typically? I do. I do. In fact, when I when I first started painting um, uh, miniatures for tabletop strategy games in college. Uh, Everybody was really impressed by the fact that I could I could paint I could get a dot of red on an orc's eye without you know smearing it all over the place, which is yeah. a pretty low standard for for uh, excellence in terms of painting miniatures. But everybody was like, "Wow, look at that! You got you got the eye on without smearing it across his face." Yeah. So that that encouragement got me probably sucked me into it. Uh, you know, even even quicker. Um, people saying that you know they were impressed by that, which. I'm really not impressed by, you know, with myself doing that nowadays, but. Would you paint eyes if you were painting a big block of troops, like a big regiment of, say, Monopo's infantry or that? Would you still do the eyes? Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll still do the eyes. It's it's sort of a, a balance, I guess, on um, how much time you want to invest in it and how much, how, you know, exactly how good you want it to look. Um, but at this point, um, at this point in my, uh, I'm, I'm still able to, to paint the eyes with not too much difficulty. I got to wear reading glasses now when I do it, but, uh, I can still get it done. So it's, it's worth it to me to do that. Mm-hmm. What's your, uh, what's your process for painting an eye? Just do the whites, do the pupil. Is that it? Or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I'll usually, um, paint the white on, on the eyeball and then I'll use, uh, known oil or some kind of dark wash to to put a basically a black ring around that white eyeball and then i uh, brighten the white up again after the wash is dulled it up and then i'll put a pupil on it and that's the pupil some some models i will try to get the pupil on and some models i won't but i feel like you kind of have to have it on any human or uh like dwarf or elf model whereas like uh goblins and and orcs, I can give them just a red eye and be happy with it because, you know, they look, you know, like evil glowing eyes. It, it makes sense to me. So sometimes I, w- I won't paint those with pupils. Mm-hmm. Have you, uh, talking about Hero Quest, uh, have you played it with the wee lassie yet? Have, has she had a game yet? Or No, I haven't. Last time I played it was, was decades ago, in fact. So I, I, once I get everything painted up, I'll I'll do a test run through, a solo run through of it um, so I can get make sure I know what the rules are and everything. And then I'll I'll put her, uh, put her and my uh, my girlfriend. My girlfriend collects board games, so I think I can get her to play. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll I'll get them uh, started playing on it. One thing I have to do is I have to try to find some female versions of the heroes because my my daughter will not want to play with male miniatures. Mm-hmm. And I've I've already gotten um, for the dwarf the the. Uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battle had a character named uh, Queen Helga, and I got that model. So that's perfect uh, if she wants to pay it, play a dwarf. But I'm still searching for suitable uh, female adventure models uh, to paint up uh, for her for that. The copy of Hero Quest that you've got is that 
Is that your own from back in the day, or did you pick that up more recently? No, uh, uh, when I when I played it, um, the the copy that I played uh, belonged to a friend of mine. I never owned it as a kid, and so I picked it up um, off of eBay. Um, I think I paid about a hundred bucks for it, which seemed uh, seemed like a pretty good bargain to me, considering how many models there are in it, and it was complete. And it even had some uh, some character sheets filled up by a couple of kids. <laughs> Uh, who had you know played it 20 30 years ago whenever and they were they were still in there so that was kind of neat hope those hope those folks are still adventuring now in their old age that's a, probably a good segue for for that into the the origin stories then you know talking about playing hero quest back in the day like let's let's find out a bit more about when you encountered the hobby for the first time and how you started to to sort of get into it um i got it I got into it through uh, Dungeons and Dragons back in uh, like 1984, I think. My my parents took my brother and sister and I on a family vacation out to the Shenandoah Mountains to go camping. And uh, my brother had gotten a copy of the Red Box uh, uh, beginner set for Dungeons and Dragons. It was a couple of red paperback books with a... I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's got a um, a Larry Elmore drawing on the front of a guy attacking a dragon over his horde, and uh, I started reading that. So I guess I was I guess I was about eight years old when I first came across Dungeons and Dragons, and then we played that um, all the way. Gosh, we played it for a long time. I until I was an adult, um, I stopped playing like around college age, but we played. We used to, my brother and our friends and everything used to play Dungeons and Dragons pretty much just about every weekend. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed, one of the things I enjoyed about Dungeons and Dragons, other than, you know, just sitting around and drinking root beer and eating pretzels and BSing with your friends was uh, generally during the game, you're going to draw a map on a, uh, on a board and use your miniatures to uh, indicate, you know, where your character is and where the goblins or whatever kobolds are and i always really enjoyed that part of the game and i didn't really paint any model any models back then uh but uh in college we were still playing dungeons and dragons and uh, it was a new group of friends and my brother and uh we went into a hobby store a local hobby store called uh Gamers Headquarters. Everybody called it GHQ, which was a pretty big store, but it was absolutely filthy. The, the The owners both smoked, and they had like eight cats that they kept in the store. So everything in the store was covered with cigarette ash and, you know, getting stained by smoke and had cat hair and cat tender. It was just a disgusting place, but had all the gaming uh, stuff we needed, and they had tables, and that's where I first came across um, uh, Games Workshop miniatures. And I asked my brother, like, you know, what the heck are these? And he explained to me, he was, I was looking at a, an orc, a savage orc um, from Warhammer Fantasy Battles. And uh, he explained to me what, what it was. And he was kind of dismissive of it because it's not the right uh, scale for all the other miniatures we used. We used uh, mostly Ralph Artha miniatures which are mm. a smaller scale than uh, Games Workshop, so he didn't want you know he didn't want me to buy any of those. But eventually, we ended up getting into uh, 
those kind of games, tabletop strategy games. So what what year are we talking here? That was um, when we when I was in college was uh, 1993, 94. So I was I played I guess we played Dungeons and Dragons for about 10 years and we played other role playing games like uh, Call of Cthulhu um, was one of my other favorites. And we played uh, uh, Shadowrun and Cyberpunk. Um, bunch of different role playing games, but we got into we kind of transitioned to uh, some tabletop strategy games like Man of War and War. Uh, let's see, we played Second Edition 40k. Uh, we never played Fantasy Battle, but we played those in college while also still playing RPGs. Mm. And was that you through the rest of the nineties? Like, uh, you know, how did it sort of pan out from there? Yeah, it, it lasted until 97 when I uh, graduated college with a uh, bachelor's degree in English and uh, immediately went into construction <laughs> after I graduated. Never used my do. degree for anything, <laughs> which is what a lot of people do. But uh, I went into construction and then all of a sudden I've got rent to pay and bills to pay and cars to fix. And um, uh, I noticed a lot of my friends that were still playing games uh, like um, 40K and stuff were just blowing through money. And they had all the same bills that I did. And they were going into debt and running up credit credit cards for thousands of dollars to, to spend on these uh, these games. And it looked like it was it looked like a really lot of a bad, a lot of bad decision making. Um, and I associated, which was silly at the time, but I associated the game with those bad decisions guys going into debt and focusing on the wrong things and um so i i got rid of everything at that point i stopped playing rpgs i gave away all my armies i had uh, a pretty big second edition and rogue trader era um orc army whole bunch of dreadnoughts and stuff gave them all away um got rid of my books i had the freebooters manual and uh, the orc um here we go, uh, army book, stuff that I would love to have back <laughs> if I could get it back. But uh, yeah, I, I essentially, I didn't bend it all, but I gave it away to a friend and uh, that was the end of it for me for a long time until um, probably about to about uh, when COVID came back around is when I really started getting, getting into playing again. Yeah, I, you, it sounds like you almost treated it like a kicking out a drug habit or that like get this stuff away from me it's dangerous yeah it absolutely it absolutely was man i i now i i still played um in 97 after after i got rid of everything i still occasionally played um uh rpgs like maybe once or twice a year we could get together um and and make it happen with uh my group of friends but uh yeah, that um, it, it essentially that is what I did is I, I got I associated it with something bad and I was afraid of it happening to me. So I got rid of everything and didn't get back into it until uh, COVID when I saw lots of other people on social media and everything, you know, pulling their old stuff out of the attic and painting it while they didn't have anything else better to do. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. Was that the catalyst? I mean, apart from the whole global pandemic and lockdown thing, like, was it seeing people on social media doing this that that tempted you back in then? Yeah, it was because I I didn't my job didn't really change at all during COVID. Um, 
so I was working the same amount. I didn't get um, sequestered away in my house or anything uh, and have nothing to do. It was just seeing on, on Facebook and in social media people. Uh, I just happened to see it somehow. You know, he got put it in my Facebook feed or whatever. And I thought, you know, I've, I've still got a lot of miniatures. Um, I've, I never got rid of, like, I had a Necromunda gang that I never got rid of. And I had a lot of Man of War ships that I didn't get rid of. Or at least I had, I had like, one fleet, my orc fleet, I never got rid of. Um, and I knew my brother had a whole bunch of um, Man of War models. So I, I got those from him. And, and But, yeah, it's primarily just seeing on social media other people doing that, going in, back into the hobby because of lockdown. So what were your your very first steps then? Just get some some old miniatures out. Like did you did you have paints? Did you have to order them in or what? Yeah, I no, I had to I had to go back to the store. I didn't have any paints left, um, so I had to do that from from the you know ground up. Went to a local hobby store, got some brushes, got the the basic paints that I felt I needed, um, and uh, my brother had. Uh, he had all three box sets for Man of War, and so uh, he was getting he was getting ready to sell those to a guy that I didn't know, and he just happened to text me and said, "Hey, I'm getting rid of these. Do you want to put dibs on them before I sell them?" And I said, "Yeah," and I got all three box sets. I gave him I think about two hundred dollars for it, which they're worth way more than that. But uh, um, and the guy, the guy that he was going to sell it to was there at the store where we met. So I felt bad because I was basically just sneaking that stuff out of this, uh, out from under this guy's nose, right in front of him. But yeah, I got, um, I got probably about um, with that purchase, I probably got about half of all of the Man of War miniatures that I needed, and uh, started painting them up. I also, you know, I fixed paint jobs on uh, some models that I had botched. But yeah, it was it was pretty much starting from the ground up again. What do you find, uh, what's the difference between painting a boat versus painting a human? I mean, there's no eyeballs this time, but uh, do, do you like painting boats? Yeah, I, I don't I don't suppose it's that much different. I, I've been, I've been, I don't focus on one, uh, like one game at a time. I'll, I'll, I'll paint HeroQuest for a month or two, and then I might paint a squadron of ships um, from Man of War, and then I might build some terrain i go you know I, I think most people probably do that i drift from project to project but uh i think i i would say overall i think boats are probably easier to paint than figures because you may primarily because you, you don't have to worry about flesh tone on, on most boats mm. uh flesh tone has always been uh something i've struggled with um i, w- I would say out of the hero quest models the uh the zombies were have given me the most trouble uh, just getting the flesh tone right on them, but uh, yeah, I, I I'd say the 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 ships. The biggest difference with the ships um, is that there's uh, much there's a lot more very small details uh, to pick out as opposed to uh, painting humanoids. Mm-hmm. Have you had a game of Man of War? Oh yeah, I um I'm at, matter of fact I've, I'm playing. Uh, I've got a game scheduled with one of the guys on your uh, Discord on the fifteenth. I'm gonna um, use your uh, use the Discord video channel to do that. Um, and I've, I've played a bunch of games remotely. And uh, earlier, 
uh, I guess about three months ago, I went to a convention in Pennsylvania, which was about uh, a six-hour drive for me. But uh, I, I ran a, I ran a few games up there as a game master and ran into another guy about my age that was running some games. So that was pretty neat. We had, uh, we had two people running Man of War at this uh, historical gaming convention. Did you find getting back into playing did, did you did you find the rules came back easy to you yeah i, I would say so but I, I i'm not i don't consider myself an expert with the with the rules i pretty much i make a mistake at least one mistake every time i play <laughs> so mm. uh I, i've had me and chris snyder are um uh two guys over at the crown command discord who run um remote games of man of war on a fairly regular basis and uh i hesitate to to call myself an expert about it because i still you know i still miss rules and making rules mistakes but um as long as you are playing with somebody who's uh you know decent in terms of being a sportsman and you know uh understanding you know that some mistakes are going to be made and it's more mostly just about enjoying the game and uh, seeing the game through to completion, then it's it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I've I don't know that I've played a game and not made a mistake yet, but I always put it down. Now, well, I'm learning. <laughs> I don't know when I'll actually achieve the point of being educated, but I'm learning. So, um, I so you you're getting regular games remotely. You're going to conventions and that. Have you have you ever managed to find anyone local to you that you could get the odd game with? No, I, I used to, uh, I guess I, I used to game pretty regularly with some local friends, but, uh, we had our, our gaming group kind of dissolved back in, uh, I think it was about 2008. And so I haven't really, uh, played locally any, cause I don't want to horn in on basically what I consider like their turf. I don't know if this, this is probably all pretty silly, but I don't want to, I don't want to want to go to, um, uh, a gaming store and you know basically use up space that they're using because they still play together and i'm not willing to play with them anymore so i don't um i don't have anybody locally that i play with around here and my girlfriend um and my daughter they live about two and a half hours north of me and the way my schedule works out i i basically i work in newport news virginia for about uh, for about a week and then i go up there for about a week and spend mm. time with them so, and they're up in Northern Virginia, which is a very densely populated area. So that's another thing that I want to uh, get done this year is uh, start going to some hobby stores up there. Because I met, I met some guys at the convention in Pennsylvania who go to a hobby store that's uh, real close to um, where my girlfriend lives. So I could probably, and, and these are guys that um, they play Frostgrave and uh, Mordheim, which are both uh, games that I want to experiment with i want to get some games in um on that because they look mm -hmm. interesting to me and uh so i'll probably um at some point make set some time aside to uh to spend the evening up there at that game store and maybe get those games in what happened to the guys who were spending thousands on the stuff like the you still in touch with them at all yeah they, they didn't starve to death or anything <laughs> <laughs> they uh, uh but no no i'm not i'm not really in touch with them anymore but they are still alive, and yeah, they managed yeah managed to to raise kids and everything, so they they kicked their habit enough, anyways, to, <laughs> to make it through. 
Aye, it's a funny one that, you know, um, that's obviously, you're talking about this happening years ago, but it's still, you know, pe- people still spend a lot of money today, obviously, and I've been kind of following with interest since I, you know, was late to the party realising that the, the the next Warhammer's coming out, and, you know, I've, I've enjoyed a few podcasts I've been listening to about it, and, you know, I, I really enjoy the enthusiasm of hearing people preparing to just dive into this and they're going to, you know, buy lots of stuff and they've pre-ordered lots of stuff and as much as, like, I I enjoy the enthusiasm, it's totally not for me, like, I'm not getting involved in it at all but, um, aye, I I, I suppose for a lot of folk, they maybe just like the the thought that, you know, here is a supported game again, rather than uh, you know, the, the old games that folks play, because everyone's got a different sort of take on things, don't they? Some folks do, do just pre- prefer to play something that is, like, in print and supported, so. Yeah, and I think um, a big part of that enthusiasm is the the uh, dimension that they're going to give some measure of support to using the old miniatures, which I, I like seeing that enthusiasm from the, the guys, like, that you know are, are our age and have a, a collection of uh, orcs and goblins or Bretonians or whatever that aren't supported anymore and they can't really play except by using the fourth edition or fifth edition whatever rules. So I I think it's great that um, GW has made even that much effort you know to to create rules so that they can put those old models back on the table. I know they've said that a lot of them won't be legal for tournament play which doesn't really affect me i don't do tournaments but um still i i've enjoyed seeing that enthusiasm i like the idea of these guys having more players to 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 play with at the hobby stores and that sort of thing if they've got rules that are official and up to date and everything they can Mm -hmm. have another excuse for getting them on the table If you're in the market for a t-shirt mug sticker or magnet with goblin green bases written on it then today is your lucky day. We've teamed up with TeePublic to create a merch store for the podcast, which you could visit by going to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash store. So go and get yourself some Goblin Green Bases branded merch today and bonus points if you send in a photo of you being escorted out of your local games workshop. That's bedroombattlefields.com slash store. And now, back to the show. Yeah. Aye, I mean, talk, talking about like tournaments and talking about spending loads of money and talking about getting on board with new products, that kind of segues into um, something that I'd published today that we were going to touch on as well, the the Slow Hobbyist Manifesto. So did, did you say you'd given that a wee read earlier on? Yeah, yeah, I did give it a, give it a read. I'd, I would... Now, maybe this is personal bias, but I identified pretty strongly with everything all of those points i think and uh i'd be willing to bet that a lot of the people in the discord and some of the other discords you know pretty much anybody that are that's our age i bet you a lot of them will, will identify with that uh the nostalgia um is a huge part of is what's a huge driving force in getting people to you know collect miniatures collect these old miniatures and put paint to them and hopefully get them on the table again. So yeah, I think, I think it, it hit the nail on the head pretty well. 
I'm glad you think so. You didn't have to say that just because you were on the podcast. You, you could have tore it up if you wanted. But uh, for context for the listener, like I'll put a link to this post in the show notes. It's on bedroombattlefields.com. But yeah, the term slow hobbying was something I first heard um, a couple of years ago on an episode. It was Rick that was on. He was talking about the Ninth Age and he mentioned this and there had been a blog post on the Ninth Age forums and it was one of the Ninth Age uh, players or writers, I can't remember which, but, you know, talking about slow hobby, and and, and it's a term that kind of stuck with me. I had, a, I had a look for the original blog post, and I don't think it's available anymore, it just wouldn't work for me, but I'd kind of been turning it over in my head, and I thought, you know, I'm going to put something together. A bit tongue-in-cheek, you know, it's a bit flowery, but... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bucolic, I, yeah, yeah. So you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Aye, so I mean, there, there's nine points here. Uh, I'm not going to read it all at the listener because they could check it out. But yeah, number one, a miniature agnostic approach. Number two, the art of patience. Number three, deep dive into rule sets. Number four, resistance to hype. Number five, nostalgia as a guiding light. Uh, number six, qual- quality over quantity in gaming. Seven is favouring storytelling and narrative experience. Eight is rejecting the notion of perfect balance. And nine is community and camaraderie. So do you think I'll be elected on these grounds? And I don't know what I'm being elected to, but do you think I've got a chance? Absolutely. I don't stuff. think you have anybody competing with you either. Because so. <laughs> it's completely meaningless. <laughs> Nobody cares. Uh, I'll be the Discord king or something like that. If there's a, a, In fact, my username has a wee crown next to it because I created the server so I guess I could kind of yeah, you know there you go. if I wanted to get into royalty I could I could be the king already yeah you've, you've um, already got the kingdom you're just laying down the rules <laughs> I I mean uh, yeah the nostalgia thing like it's uh, it's obviously the case for a lot of us because like of our age and you know what we've all a lot of us have that common story of you know getting into it in childhood and having a long break away and coming back in you know the the period between 2018 to to during the pandemic seems to be a real like loads of people just came back in at that point and there was obviously lots of reasons for that but um i i mean i i just like i say i love i love listening to folks enthusiasm and and you know they're gonna dive in with both feet to the the old world when it comes out and for me i i don't want to sound smug or aloof but i'm I'm just content in my and my knowledge that like you know i'm working on two 15 mil armies that to me like they don't quite look the same as what the new stuff's going to come out you know for the old world but like they're still decent sized armies and they, they look pretty good on the table and to be honest like these two armies, you know, six, seven, eight regiments aside, I don't think I paid any more than like 120 quid for them. And then, you know, I've got all these rule sets that cost me less than a tenner. You know, I've got Mayhem and, you know, that's Mass Fantasy Battles. Like, I think that was like eight quid to buy that. So, I mean, I'm just like, it's the hobby's a buffet for me. Like, I'll, you know, a rule book here, a scenario there, a miniature here, a miniature there. It's all just... Uh, you know, part of a, a big diverse range for me rather than diving into just, you know, this is this one gaming system, these are the miniatures, I'm gonna go right into that. Yeah. I uh I I do the uh resistance to hype uh is one of your one of your uh edicts here. <laughs> 
on my manifesto and I I'm pretty I'm able to pretty easily resist hype just by reminding myself of what I already have. I've got all my Man of War models and as much as I play Man of War, I still haven't painted all the fleets. Mm -hmm. I've got um a bunch of Necromunda models and um Hero Quest and Space Hulk. And I, I, as a matter of fact, I've also, during COVID, I collected a uh, 4th edition Chaos Dwarf army. Mm. Um, and I've got all of those set unpainted and many of them unplayed for a long time. So I've got, you know, plenty to, to keep me busy. So I don't need to, there's no reason for me to, to buy anything more. Um, and yeah. I have heard, heard somebody say that one good thing about all of the, the hype and all the people that want to dive in deep on uh, the the old world is that it's probably going to be a booming secondhand miniatures market <laughs> a few years later because all these people, if you know, they've, they've gone long and spent a bunch of money on buying the Bretonians or whatever, and they're never going to get around to painting them, so they sell them secondhand. So you can get them mm -hmm. a lot cheaper then, but... Yeah, 120 quid, I think, will get you about maybe six mounted knights. <laughs> yeah, so. aye, it's frightening. And it's it's the, like you're saying as well, like, um, I mean, I've, I've got I've got enough these days. Like, I've got, you know, I've got 28 mil fantasy and sci-fi. I've got enough to play all the games I want to play. And I'll, I'll add tiny bits and pieces over time, but... Um, the thought of, you know, like folks are buying entire armies and boxes or starter sets and that. And when I was younger and I saw these things in White Dwarf, I thought there'd be nothing better than buying that. And that predominantly because I would build it in one day very sloppily, like just snap it off, off the sprues and slap the polystyrene cement on and have it built. Um, and didn't care about playing unpainted. But these days having like a full army in a box, especially a plastic one in sprues, that would just stress me out because I would just think of it as like, there's just so much work to be done here and I've already got stuff I'm needing to be done. So, Yeah, yeah. I saw you recently got um, some, what looked like uh, some, some Man of War scale uh, ships delivered to yeah. you. Is that right? Yeah. Those are, right. Oh, those, are, those, are, those are Bretonians, right? Yeah, I think they are. I think... Or I think they're potentially Empire. So I, I made two orders. I think it was the Empire proxies that came. And I think I've got Bretonian proxies on the way. And I've got the Armada rule set. So I'm basing them on the, the bases that are appropriate for Armada. I usually wouldn't give a shit about base size, but it, it seems quite important in this game because of the way the ship turns and stuff. So I'm ordering up some uh, MDF bases. Uh, I'm actually doing this a little different because in the on the game I've seen it's like the clear acrylic, you know, the official bases. Which if you just bang a ship on that, it makes sense because you could see the you could see the the water b below or the mat. But I've got a, I've got an idea of what I want to do. I use this basin putty, uh, and I kind of you know I've I've done it to to make sort of rough ground and stuff like that. And I figured well if I do this same technique and then paint it blue and you know, a bit of green and white dry brush, it might look pretty cool. So I'm just going to experiment with that. Because uh, in Man of War, they, they, they're not based on Man of War, are they? They're just literally sitting on the mat. Is that right? That's right. Some people put bases on them, but uh, originally they're, they're, they're released with no bases and they're not, they don't have bases on them on, on any of the, uh, 
you know, magazine articles, White Dwarf articles or anything like that. So mm. I take it that's not a pivotal part of the, the movement of the ship then, the base. No, uh uh-uh. um some of the models like the uh the dark elves have some uh sea dragon models that are very, very narrow and so they, they don't stand up very well and so I put some of those I put those on bases and a lot of people will put those on bases. It doesn't really get in the way at all. There's a there is a there is occasionally I'll see debates on, you know, bases or not no bases and it changes uh how quickly models can get in contact with each other and that sort of thing, but it's another one of those uh, sportsmanship issues it, it, it really doesn't matter in the long run aye, aye, if you're playing the right person stuff like that won't matter because you know people are reasonable enough to <laughs> to figure it out uh, but yeah aye, if you play somebody who wants basically they should be playing chess because it'd be more appropriate for them um, but I've, I've, got, I've got Chris on the podcast in a couple of weeks you know I'm looking forward to diving into a bit of Man of War with him and uh, find out more about the, the remote game and stuff as well. Yeah, so, you were um, saying uh, you saying your, your plans for basing those models. I have made a bunch of terrain for Man of War and I used um, watered down uh, wall compound, you know, the stuff you would cover a nail hole with on mm. your wall. I used that, just made it really thin and it's really easy to make waves if you wanted to try that. Yeah. And I, um, I, I, I painted them all blue and then I gave them a uh, a dark blue wash to get in the recesses, and then dry brushed them white. It's super easy, a lot of fun to do. It's fun to play with that stuff, and uh, it looks. I think it looks good. So give that a give that a try for sure. Do you ever uh, have an overlap between your your job and hobby stuff, like materials or anything you've built or tried? Not not really. Um, the the biggest overlap I got is uh, finding little bits um for necromunda terrain um i uh i work uh part of my job i work for the fire department so and half my job is working on the ambulance i work on the fire truck one day and the ambulance the next day and medical supplies have lots of interesting little gubbins you know uh that you can uh uh, scrap up for uh good looking uh necromunda terrain that's a you know detailed stuff so that's that's the main thing i'll I'll, you know uh dig some medical waste out of the trash can and (laughs) put it on my terrain (laughs) a human hand that's okay it's like a bit of norgo terrain realm of chaos terrain yeah do you build a lot of terrain like what's your ratio of working on terrain to working on miniatures uh probably not not much probably about 10 percent terrain Usually what I'll do is I'll paint miniatures for as long as I possibly can. And then once I start getting kind of burned out on doing that, I'll switch to terrain because the just the, the process of making terrain is so much less detailed and nerve wracking. You can get, you know, kind of messy. I had my daughter uh, when she was five help me make some of the islands for Man of War, which was fun. Uh, you can, you know, because you're using modeling clay and rocks and sand and stuff like that. So. I find making terrain to be a really refreshing, like palette cleanser for uh, the hobby. Has she done any miniature painting yet? She has. I give her I give her miniatures every once in a while. Um, I let her. Uh, there's a there's a, a narwhal um, model 
uh, for Man of War that she painted probably about four times to the point where she decided it was her model, and we had to have an argument over that. <laughs> but uh, I got into 3D printing, so now I'm, you know, I'm printing off cats and stuff for her to paint, and she's she's perfectly happy with that. I had uh, a paintbrush on my daughter's hand at the weekend there, so she's two and a half, and uh, I'd been like uh, making a point of coming down, and you know, maybe in an afternoon where we weren't doing much, I was just getting the paints out and doing something that I, I didn't need to concentrate too much on. So I was painting like uh, movement trees, nice and easy, and uh, you know, she's quite curious, and I've been giving her bits of paper to paint on and stuff, but I've got a bunch of these, like, it's the E4M orcs, and, well, it's just orcs, it's like orc uh, warriors and orc archers, they're like 20 pence each or something like that, so I figured, you know, let's let's give her a wee shot, she wanted to paint, so put some cheap acrylics on her wee palette, and <laughs> she started dabbing away, so it was just quite funny to see, um, really good to see, actually, Uh so I that was her first painting session, two and a half years old. So a few years yet, Golden Demon, I'm sure. Yeah, I I make a point whenever I'm painting over, I, I pack up all my paint stuff and uh, take it with me whenever I go up to uh, see my girlfriend and, and daughter. And uh, then I set up a table in the, uh, in the living room and I paint. And eventually, at some point during my painting session, my daughter will come over and want to paint something. And I, um, I discipline myself to never tell her no. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I might not necessarily want her at the table cause she's going to be bumping it and I won't be able to do some of the painting I want. But, um, I believe very strongly in being a good steward of the hobby. Um, no mm. matter what game it is you're, you're playing, uh, because I want her to have, you know, good memories about the models and playing the games and everything because, Eventually, when I'm, you know, dying or whatever, I don't want her to toss all those bottles in the bin. I want her to, you know, keep what she wants and maybe get rid of the rest or whatever. But the these these games, you know, will will disappear if we don't pass them on to somebody else. So um, I, I believe pretty strongly, and and that goes also with sportsmanship. If you're at a convention or something, um, you. you, you you know, you gotta be polite. Mind, mind what you say to people and everything, and and make sure that they have a good time during the game because uh, that's you know that's all part part of uh, being a good steward of the hobby and getting more people involved and enjoying the games and maybe giving yourself more chances at having a game with someone. Yeah, that that like really should have went in my manif- my, my manifesto. Sorry, um, being a steward of the hobby, passing the torch. You know, setting a good example. There's a lot in there. Uh, that you're totally right about yeah because I mean you wonder how many folks over the years will have been sort of flirting on the edge of the hobby and just had a poor experience that's put them off you know whether that is going into a games workshop and they've just found it a bit weird or they've you know they've played somebody who's just been an arsehole uh, you know there'll be lots of that and you know it'll put folk off and that's really sad Um so you you know it's a commendable approach and and you're right you know when you're painting that it's it's new for me obviously with the age of my daughter but you know it, it it almost be easy to say like go and leave me in peace now but I absolutely don't want to do that uh, at all. Yeah, I, I went to uh, Adepticon back in I think it was 2016 or 2017. It was before COVID. Whenever I went, and uh, one of the most impressive things about Adepticon is seeing all of the games set up in the big room and seeing all the terrain that people have made 
and I was wandering around and I was looking at um, it was it was a Warhammer forty thousand game. I don't know what rule set was being used, but they had those giant Titan models. They're like three feet tall and they cost like four thousand dollars a piece. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, is it like the Titans for forty k or? Yeah, but they're they're like full size. They're like uh, the same, like the correct scale for what you would be using your your twenty eight millimeter models for. Yeah. So they're they're these and these things. I think it's Forge World that makes them. I'm not sure. I could be wrong, but uh, they cost thousands and thousands of dollars, and it takes you know years to paint them up. But anyways, I was looking at this table and it had a couple of them set up, and I was admiring the train and a model, and I asked the guy that was setting up, um, man, what are the movement rules for this thing? And he turned around and gave me a look like I had just walked up and took a shit on the table. <laughs> he just <laughs> absolute disgust. He's like, well, first of all, I wouldn't. And then he, you know, he, I guess he saw my facial expression and, and he changed his tone a little bit and tried to explain it to me. But man, what a turnoff for that game. Like I just had zero interest from that. Just went from interested to absolutely not interested at all anymore in that game. So, uh. Yeah, I think aye, being aye. a good steward is pretty important. Yeah, aye, the first impressions and the way you're coming across and that, that, that like, to go back to the guy, did he just mean, well, you obviously don't use these, is it more just yeah, a terrain well, piece? Apparently, as from what I understood, is that you put it on the table and then it doesn't move. Mm. You, you Once you put it on the table, you've got line of sight on everything, so after that, you just work out um, yeah, the, just the shooting and the, the damage, which is weird, because... You don't really need the model. <laughs> What's the model yeah. there for, other than to to show off? Yeah, you, but, should, you uh, could just put a couple of like a pair of Nike Air Max on the table. You know that yeah. the, the Titans <laughs> yeah. here, basically, or stand on the table yourself and just make shooting noises. Yeah, matter matter of fact, they had um, when I, I took a photo of it uh, before I asked the guy a question, and they had I made sure in the photo to get um, they had a bunch of two liter bottles of soda on the table that they were planning on drinking while they played this game. And uh, I, I made sure to get those in the frame so you could see the scale of the the model. <laughs> yeah, I, it'd be better dressing up as a Titan and just standing on the table. Cheaper. Yeah, yeah. that'd be funner. So as we, uh, as we approach the end of the episode, Kami, you got anything else you wanted to bring up? Anything you wanted to share or point to or anything like that? Uh, I, I, I want to say um, I think that um, hobby parenting thread in your Discord is probably my favorite one. Um, I've painted a few pictures of, I mean, I've uh, posted a few pictures of uh, my kid games that we played in there. They're uh, great memories, and it, it uh, warms the corners of my heart to, to see other people, you know, sharing the hobby with their kids and everything. I love that. Love that thread. Love when people post in there. Um, Aye, no, it's great in there. Um, you know, it was just on a whim I created that because you know folks had been kind of sharing stuff uh, that they were doing with the kids and um, Doctor Spork, who's been on, he's uh, I loved his uh, color in or Rogue Trader. You know, he's he's basically turned the Rogue Trader book into a color in book with his wee one. So th- there's just loads of really cool stuff in there. I seen your wee girl had a. Uh, a copy of one of the Osborne books as well. Was that a, that's a nostalgic blast for the past? Was that a Christmas present? Yeah, it was. I think I think I, I think it was your Discord that I I saw someone mention that. Um, ah, yeah, I mentioned, mentioned them. That book. So oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd seen them in yeah, the I loved it. I, I like the 
I like the artistry in there. It's it's pretty neat. And every time we've been reading it slowly, we read it a couple uh, a couple pages at a time, and I explain to her how the Medusa works and how they, uh, you know, what the what the creatures are and everything. So every time, um, at least once per day, she comes down and says, you know, will you read me some more of that book? So yeah, it's yeah, fun. That's great because I'm sure there's I'm sure there was three of them. Like I used to. When I was wee, like primary school, we, my granddad would get me on a Friday and we'd go to the library and uh, I would rent those books like one after the other on a three-weekly basis. And he would he would always say like, are you, are you getting that one again? Are you? Um, like, you, you know, we've got a library full here, but you're getting that one again. But aye, it was like the, one was Ghosts and the Supernatural, one was Aliens. I can't remember what the third one would have been then. What one is it you've got? Is it like Myths and Legends or that? Yeah, yes, it's Legends. It's uh, Ulysses and Hercules. Mm, that must um, have been the those... third one, yeah. Yeah. Aye, because you've got UFOs and ghosts are the other two. <laughs> yeah, she's enjoying them. Yeah. Aye, they're, they're like beautifully illustrated. Like It's that kind of old school illustration. Um, yeah, and, and the violence is just just about right, I think. In, that's in the, a great quote. You know, there's, there's, the violence is yeah. just about right. It's, it's <laughs> not, super, not super gory or anything, but, you know, you got, uh, there's an image of, of Skyla with a couple of dudes in her mouth you know, that she's uh, she's eating up from off of the ship. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 not completely um, censored uh, as much as, you know, some children's book are. So. I'm reaching in at dark corner of my memory here a dusty corner of my memory but has the book you've got has it got the lampton worm in it no i don't think so i was i was certain that was in the myths and legends it was basically i'm sure the northeast england uh back in the medieval era and this big this big worm you know big monster worm was in a a lake uh and this this night his way around it because I think I think what was happening it was one of these myths where uh, you know they chopped bits of it off and it would just regenerate and this thing was terrorising the, the community so the hero he he wore a suit of armour but it was all spiky so the worm come out the lake and uh, tried to wrap itself around them and obviously he couldn't chop it up because it just regenerated but for some reason when it wrapped around them and got all impaled that did the trick so I may be butchering the story, but uh, I the Lampton worm. Do you remember what color the worm was? No, I, that, that's in that's, the illustrations. That's because uh, deleted we, from my memory. She and I, she and I haven't uh, finished the book yet. We've got maybe a few pages left, and she's been keeping track of the monsters that are uh, pictured on the cover of the book, mm. and because she wants to see, you know, um, which monsters we've gone over and which ones we haven't. So maybe that one's in the at the end and ending of the book, and I just haven't gotten to it yet. Imagine I've spoiled it for you now, and you're like, I know what happens here, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> even though that is literally the picture is the one wrapped around the guy with the spikes. Uh, gotcha. No, we they, it, it's got the Hydra, the uh, the nine headed Hydra, um, and uh, uh, that that Hercules slays, and that's when he dips his arrows in for poison, and then. But uh, no, not not the not the worm that you're talking about. But who knows? Maybe I just haven't gotten to it yet. Aye, well, no, it's, it's it sounds like an enjoyable book. I'll maybe pick up a couple of copies of them in the near future as well. Uh, I don't know if my wee one's quite ready for that yet, but she's she's enjoying labyrinth, so um, there's there's hope. 
Yeah, we tried. We tried to get my daughter to watch Labyrinth the other uh, the other week, and she it was a, it was a flat no. She did not like the look of uh, David Bowie at all. No, not a no. fan. That's <laughs> yeah. a pity. So maybe next year. Yeah, I five times for us over the holidays. We we good tentatively like she'd. I'd showed her magic dance on YouTube, and she became obsessed with that. And I was saying to my wife, like, I kind of want to show her, and that it was temporarily available on Prime. So I was like, I, I kind of want to show her the film, but I'm scared she'll she'll just. I, I thought I couldn't remember it because it had been so long since I'd seen it, but I worried it was maybe a slow start and it was going to put her off, or you know, it would be a bit too creepy for her. But Bowie's in it pretty quick, and then you're you're in the labyrinth quite quick, and she didn't find it scary either, which was which was good because, you know, she is a bit chicken hearted at times, but she loved it and she wanted to watch it every night. Knows all the characters now. She's got a a film poster of it in her room. She's got I got her a wee book, like a wee pop up book that it's it's educational as well, like teaches you left and right and stuff like that. So that's a labyrinth book. So she's she's full in now, fangirl. Uh, I'm getting stick for my wife for indoctrinating her, but. Yeah, I saw um, somebody on your Discord linked the uh, the Labyrinth. Uh, I think it's it's like a board game or an RPG. Yeah. Um, I, and my that is right up my girlfriend's alley. She would she would love that. So I'm probably gonna get that for her eventually. That looks brilliant, doesn't it? It's River Horse, so that's Alessio that that's um, been involved there at least. So I that looks really cool. I'll hold off for a few years, but that will definitely be on my radar in the future. Yeah. So, so you you got those models, um, the the ones off Etsy. You got those for the Armada game, that's right. Yeah, I and I got Bowie off Etsy too. Now that you mention it, I got a three D print of Jareth holding a crystal. Uh, okay. Oh right, right, I've, yeah, nice. I've started well, beating be, that up. I'll be interested. I'll be interested in hearing um, how the Armada game plays. And if you ever, if you ever want to uh, try a remote game of Man of War, just hit up me or Chris Snyder because um, both of us are doing them on a fairly regular basis so we can uh what but it, it would it'll take a few hours it, you'd have to set aside three or four hours to be able to do it but uh, if you ever want to try that just let us know aye that'd be cool that'd be cool and that goes uh, that goes for, that goes for anybody on your discord yeah i get in, get involved yeah uh, it's a it's a great that's a great wing to the game it's a great opportunity to, to to get a game as well for folks i'll be dressed as a pirate when i play <laughs> yeah, be really awkward awesome. <laughs> I won't like that. Just just keep your camera off. You can dress whatever you like. But... Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I think we'll leave it there. I've thoroughly enjoyed this, though. Thanks so much for for coming on the show. I do appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, I thanks keep... for the invite. Yeah, and uh, I, I look forward to catching up to to see how you've got on finishing that book and yeah, what, what you're painting next. So keep up the good work. Alright, thanks man. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. If you enjoy the show, then please do share it with someone else you think might enjoy it too. And be sure to check out our Discord community of like-minded hobbyists, which you could find at bedroombattlefields.com forward slash discord. It'd be great to see you in there.